Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Strip by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people. And I am very, very excited. I have been chasing this guest for a little bit. I am a little bit nervous, I have to say. I don't get nervous very often, but I'm a little bit nervous today. (laughs) I am introducing the audience to the elusive Nikki Nine Doors. Say hello, Nikki. Hello. Hello. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on. Nikki is a movement artist here in Vancouver, Canada, burlesque artist, stripper, uh, Pilates instructor, a wonderful singer who has a wonderful voice, um, mother of birds, big head of hair. Um, She's fabulous. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to the show. Nikki, I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much. I'm really glad that we were able to finally align our schedules together. I feel like I'm, a, yes. I'm hard to pin down. Just, <laughs> I don't know, air sign problems. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I'm an air sign too. <laughs> oh, what are, what are you? I'm a Libra. Oh, I'm an Aquarius. Oh, nice. there we go. Hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, either one. Like, I, I hear you with that. Like, I'm always just, like, I'm super busy. But with the pandemic, things have slowed down a little bit. So <laughs> I'm a lot more reachable nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know about you. Super exciting. Um, also, I forgot to introduce myself. I am Steph Sia, a.k.a. Kimchi. I'm the host of the show. I'm the host of every episode, every single week, every Sunday's new episodes, on sex work, destigmatizing, education, and everything in between. So there's a lot that we have to talk about today, but I want you to define who you are in your own words, on your own terms, because that's just what I know about you from the surface. I feel like I missed some things, so feel free to go ahead and take the mic. Oh, man. Who the (laughs) fuck is Nikki Nindorns? (laughs) Good question. That, <laughs> it is a good question. It's probably the question. It's like, you know, when people ask you to write a bio and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, you know, I think the most succinct way I can put this is I am an artist. Yeah, I'm, I'm an artist. I'm a stripper. I'm a dancer. Mm-hmm. I'm a singer. I am a lover of small, cute animals, and also large animals, but I don't have room for them in my apartment. Um, I'm a loudmouth. I can't stop myself from speaking up when I see something that's not right. Mm-hmm. And uh, who else am I? I'm a lot. I'm a lot of things. I sometimes identify as a healer, but don't tell anyone. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. You're yeah. only, you're the second person on the show that has identified themselves as a healer as well. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, Lola Frost I had on the show, and she also yes. identified herself She's as a that. healer for yes. sure. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. can't wait to unpack what that means to you, unless you want to go into a little bit about it now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Um, yeah, being a healer. I feel like in sex work, I know so many healers. It is, mm-hmm. it is a realm that we just kind of gravitate towards. Sometimes before you even know that you are that kind of individual. And I think for me what it means is um, one of my 
I guess, skill sets, one of my sort of natural abilities is to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And I'm really good at like in the club or whatever, just based on the type of eye contact someone makes with me, knowing if they're my kind of person. And my kind of person in the club is someone who who isn't going to do small talk, mm-hmm. someone who's going to get into the deep shit with me and isn't afraid to do so. Um, oh, okay. And, you know, usually, like, I feel like I, I get a lot of clients who are going through things. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty good at showing up for them and creating a safe space for that. Right. So I, and I like to connect with people. I like to reassure them. I want people to feel safe, you know, whether it's with me or just with themselves in their own bodies, because I believe and I know in my heart that it is our right to feel safe in our bodies. Mm -hmm. 100%. So yeah, that's kind of how I identify as a, as a healer. I like to facilitate that with people. Right. And we're definitely going to get into that and different forms of healing as well. We're going to talk about a little mm-hmm. bit of movement, Pilates, a lot of different things that you do. And I'm really hoping that we can pack it all in the time slot here. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we'll do it. I think it's possible. I think so too. <laughs> we'll make it happen. <laughs> um, but before that... Where I want to know where you came from, what your roots are, how did you get involved in sex work? Okay, so we're gonna go way back to the roots. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so even from like the time that I was like really little, did you ever watch the old Disney Fantasia? Yeah, like the old version. I had that in VHS. Yeah. <laughs> yes, totally. So I lived on that as a child, mm. and. my favorite parts of it was anything that involved naked ladies. Yeah. Like, like the centaurs, I'm like, you are beautiful, mystical creatures. Creatures. And at the end, like the demons dancing in the fire. And I was just this small child, like probably three years old. And I was like, yes, Yes. (laughs) that energy forever. Yeah. Um, And then when like the movie, Pan came out with Robin Williams. Okay. There was just that scene with the, um, I don't know what you would call them, pirate escorts. <laughs> you know? Pirate the ladies. Pirate sex workers. Yes. <laughs> like, what do you call them? Yes, and, no, I know what you mean. I love like, that movie. They just like appear with like half their areolas out, and I watched <laughs> that scene so many times. I was like, who are they? They're amazing. You know? <laughs> um, and then when I was like, and did my first piano recital. My, my dad is a piano teacher, so this was okay. his piano recital in front of all of his students and his students' parents. Okay. I got up on stage, and I promptly showed everyone my underwear because I was so <laughs> excited that it matched my hair barrettes and my socks <laughs> and my dress. So, so it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, stemmed from when you were a child. Yeah. <laughs> And like flash forward to when I was like 15 and one of my friends turned to me kind of randomly and she was like, she was like, would you ever be a stripper? And I I just looked at her and I was like, I don't see why not. Kind (laughs) of seems like it'd be fun. (laughs) 
I didn't start stripping. I didn't start doing exotic dance until I was 26. Oh. I started doing, yeah, I started doing burlesque when I was 22. Okay, so burlesque yeah. first. Okay. Burlesque came first. All right. I've been through some things. I've been through some sexual trauma in my mm, life. So okay. having that type of outlet for me to reclaim safety in my body and to express myself was really was really nice. It was a nice thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also it gave me my, um, my performance kicks too because I've been on stage doing – theater stuff and, and lots of like classical music, classical singing, classical piano, mm-hmm. musical theater, my whole like sort of childhood and teens. I did all that like competitively. Oh, wow. So yeah. So coming into <laughs> burlesque as like a 22 year old, I had this need to connect with myself, but also this need to connect with other people in a sort of performance kind way, of way. Right. and as a creative. Okay. Yeah. So I was doing that for a while, loving it, producing, um, started getting, producing into live music burlesque events with Pandora and the Locksmiths. Yes. Which is a, it's, I mean, I guess we're technically still a group sort of, but we're not active, but forever, forever Pandora. Um, um, and we did like live jazz burlesque shows at Guilt and Company and wherever else would hire us, but Guilt was our home. That was really special. Mm Mm-hmm. And then about four years, maybe about three and a half years to my burlesque journey, I went through like a car accident oh. and it kind of changed my perspective on movement and its importance in my life. Like I had like whiplash and it really sort of destabilized my neck. And then I had to start going through a bunch of different physical rehab stuff so that oh I could not be messed up like yeah. every six weeks when my neck would just seas and oh my gosh. um yeah so wow. during that time I was teaching music and I realized that the more I was sitting down teaching mm-hmm. the more my body hurt like the, oh. and the more I was doing movement like doing the Pilates that I was starting to do mm-hmm. to help support my body and doing kind of like just dancey stuff and belly dance the more movement I did, the better I felt. The more sitting I did, the worse I felt. Gotcha. And, okay. you know, at a certain point, I don't know what sparked it, but at some point I was like, should I try being a stripper? Oh. Um, and, you know, when I started burlesque four years prior, I was the girl that was like, oh, I will never wear a G-string on stage. I just couldn't. I'll, I'll wear, like boy shorts or or Brazilian bottoms forever I just it's, it's just not for me I can't be that revealed on stage so so anyways four years later and now look. I'm like I'm a stripper <laughs> and um I managed to get hooked up with former dancers who were in the movement community like the yoga community and they hooked mm-hmm. me up with an agent uh a woman who mostly books internationally okay but she was like She's like, okay, so you're just starting off. You don't even know if you're going to like it yet or whatever. She's like, I got this place that's relatively local and you can go there and work for a couple of weeks and figure out if you like it. Yeah. And I was like, okay, sounds intriguing. And she's like, it's in Drayton Valley, Alberta. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Somewhat like, local. <laughs> where? <laughs> like, where? What? Um, oh my gosh. So I went to Drayton Valley to the Blue Oasis. 
and for a couple weeks after some deliberation and uh yeah it was hilarious I was like this is the shit this is I love this this is great and it was also just very very liberating as many Mm. people who get into exotic dance discover it's just that that sense of freedom like I wasn't perfect I wasn't skilled and I was on stage and people were grateful to have that kind of connection and presence and to be in the presence of a woman who was having a fun time being herself and being naked. Right. And it's like, I didn't feel even like overly sexualized or objectified or anything. I just felt like people were like, yay, I like that. That's nice. And there was also this like really intense sense of freedom from not wearing pasties and a G-string because I couldn't hide any flaw, like nothing. Nothing, yeah. And, you know, you're just there and you're completely exposed and vulnerable. And I was kind of like, good, great. (laughs) Wow. I don't, like, that's it. This is it. (laughs) And people were super stoked and they didn't notice my flaws the way I noticed my flaws. Like my first lap dance that night, you know, this man, I like took my top off and he was like, you have perfect breasts. And let me tell you, I had asymmetrical breasts. I have a whole extra muscle on my left-hand side. I had constricted tissue on my left-hand side. I went and got surgery, like, later, like, years later, Mm. um, and specifically to correct that. But there was this man telling me that they were perfect. Wow. And I had an interesting moment where my gut reaction, you know your gut reaction is to, like, put off someone's compliment and to not accept it kind of deflect it. Yeah. To deflect it. Right. I almost did that. And then my brain caught myself and was like, Hey, maybe you're too hard on yourself. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, Oh, Hmm. (laughs) And I was like, Hmm. Interesting. Perhaps, (laughs) perhaps I am too hard on myself. That might've been the first time I ever thought that sentence. Wow. I was like 26 (laughs) and I'm like, am I too hard on myself? (laughs) I've been grappling with that ever since, but, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that was like the first drop of awareness there. Yeah. And, you know, he expanded and he was like, he was so genuine and sweet. And as like the dance continued, you know, I think I might've mentioned that I was like, you know, I don't always like my breasts. And he looked at me with just the utmost sincerity and he said, all breasts are perfect. And he was so true and so pure. (laughs) That's so you know? nice. And he's like this this little kind of older man, just absolutely delighted and in awe of this feminine energy yeah. that is coming his way. And I was like, that's nice. That's, that's incredible. That's a nice time. That is a nice time. <laughs> I yeah, forget, guys. That's my first, that was my first lap dance experience. And I'm like, wow. I'll remember it forever. That's like, it fucking changed my life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> So that's kind of the origin of burlesque stripping, etc. Holy um, moly. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many questions already. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to dial it back again. Um, going back to burlesque, so starting right at the very beginning, what was it that drew you to burlesque in that particular style of movement? I love classic fashion. So mm. there's that. Okay. <laughs> I was always a bit of like a corset girl, like – I don't wear corsets now because I'm like, no, freedom of movement. But like, <laughs> I, I loved corsets. I got my first corset when I was 18. Oh, wow. I like saved up and I got a like fully boned corset and it was just beautiful. 
Okay. So how did I start in burlesque? So (laughs) I was working at Romano's macaroni grill as one of the singing, like the opera singer servers. Oh, cool. What? Yeah. Every summer during pride, they would be booked out by fly girls. So it would be a big lesbian party at the macaroni grill. It was called fly girls at the mansion. And you were allowed to wear whatever you wanted. The more outrageous, the better. The better. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, really? <laughs> I can be super slutty and it's encouraged? This sounds great. Um, <laughs> no, you're um, good. <laughs> so I went out and bought a pair of silk short shorts and fishnets like back seam fishnets mm-hmm. and some red sequin heart pasties with tassels on them that was my outfit and this woman came up to me and she was like do you do burlesque and I was like no she's like do you know what it is I'm like I do kind of know what it is mm-hmm. and she's like you need to be hooked up with screaming chicken theatrical society okay and yeah. I was and I was like what did you just say, like, <laughs> what was that? In English, please. And she, yeah, and she's like, Screaming Chicken Theatrical Society is a burlesque group. Company, yeah. And you you need to look them up. And they do lessons. And you should be performing there, for sure. And I was like, cool, <laughs> sweet. And sometime around that time, I think it was the same summer, I was, I went to... Uh, celebrities and like I don't know what night it was but there were burlesque performers really burlesque performers crazy the burlesque performers were cherry on top and little (gasps) miss risk yeah and they were dancing yes right and they were dancing on these sort of like satellite stages podiums okay and I remember like little miss risk got up and she, oh my God, I feel emotional. <laughs> she got up and she was on like point shoes and she was in a corset and she just looked like this perfect Victorian doll. She had a parasol and oh she had her gosh. whole strip tease on point on what? these podiums, like walking back and forth between them, not dying. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> and just, just had this presence. And I was like, these are my people. Yeah. Like this, this. I know this feeling. These are my people. I, I belong to these people somehow. Mm. And, um, and then Cherry on Top got up and she did a remix version of Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire. Cool. And she did a, she did a hula hoop routine. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. And I was just like, I had, I had just started doing like hula hooping mm-hmm. a little bit, okay. which I don't really do anymore. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I just see seeing these things that I loved being expressed in a way that I loved by people that I felt instantly like I related to. Mm-hmm. So I can't remember if I was told to look up Screaming Chicken first or that came after I'd seen that, but it was like a summer of all these signs leading up to it. Wow. And then I looked up Screaming Chicken and I enrolled mm-hmm. and they actually had to push back that session Oh. So I didn't I didn't get into it as soon as I wanted, but then when I did start, I ended up 
Ooh, right. Okay. Right before it started, sorry, scattered brain. Um, <laughs> right before it started, I met someone through a friend of a friend. I was working at the Irish Heather's bartender and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I met Voracious V, who's a burlesque performer. Ooh. In, yeah. In the yes. scene. And she and her wacky friend, I say her wacky friend because her <laughs> friend wore a helmet in the club because she felt like the club was too pretentious and she didn't want to take her helmet off and was just going to be that girl the whole night. And I was like, yes. yes. Um, and I sort of connected with V at that time a little bit. And then we discovered that we were going to be both in the same class. Cool. And yeah. And then, uh, and then we were, and then we were in the becoming burlesque class together. And I did my first routine to an instrumental version of Nine Inch Nails Closer and I sang it and then I finished in a hula hoop because I was like I love hula hoop and cherry on top and it's so inspiring and yeah so (laughs) um, that's excellent and over yeah and like you know I don't know 11 12 years later that routine now finishes on the pole so it's 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 taken a journey yeah but it's still like my favorite act to do cool and it's um yeah that's so those those are the origins oh my gosh such an evolution i love that oh my gosh that is so freaking cool oh my gosh i love your story (laughs) okay i'm just an amalgamation of a bunch of things and then mashed all together and that's that's who i am (laughs) which is great because i was like listing everything that you do and who you are i'm like oh my gosh she's just amazing she does all these things um, yeah, it's like a mishmash of all the wonderful things that a person can yeah, be. Yeah, it's like, like, like a little bit of everything, you know? <laughs> I, like, I like new experiences. I like being stimulated. I hate feeling stagnant in myself. So so I'm always like, what next? Yeah. You know, for better or for worse, you know, it's not always been to my advantage, but, you know, <laughs> you learn. It's fine. Definitely. <laughs> Um, I also wanted to talk to you about, um, I guess, fast forwarding now to where you ended your story with stripping and the lap dance. So I know you wanted, you went to, what was that city called in Alberta? Drayton? <laughs> Drayton Valley. Drayton Valley. Drayton Valley, okay. Alberta. It's just outside of Edmonton. Okay. Because I was like, I've never heard yeah. of it. I don't know where that is. <laughs> my apartment, my apartment is larger than that club. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> something else <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore oh, rest in peace blue oh oasis that's also where lola started oh no way so, oh my gosh so many yeah. parallels here i love it yeah <laughs> yeah we all we all snuck our way into the industry through drayton valley because we were all like deeply suspicious of agencies <laughs> so uh i mean as you should be <laughs> i mean i i have not changed my opinion since so <laughs> I have many opinions on the agencies here, but that'll be for another episode. Right? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to sever my working my working ties at the moment, but we'll... No, right. Totally. Yeah. I'm already like, I'm like, whatever. They're not booking me. I don't care. <laughs> this is also true. Back to the lap dance. So you had that lap dance. Yeah. It was forever life-changing. And that was... Was that like a moment you were like, okay, this stripping thing is something that I wanted to do. Um, I knew, maybe not definitely. It, it takes me a long time to decide anything. I blame my Libra moon for that. Um, <laughs> <Yeah. but> like, <laughs> I can relate. Um, I knew that, 
I knew that it was a thing and I wasn't sure how much into it I wanted to be. Um, and I was still technically teaching at that point, but it it took me like one more trip. And then I decided that I didn't want to teach anymore because I didn't want to have to navigate any future conversations with anyone who might have a problem with what I do. And I didn't want to hide anything that I did. Um, I had really cool, like, parents of my students oh cool a bunch of them knew and they were like super cool with me you know I just didn't want to have to get into a position where I'd have to defend myself Mm -hmm. and I also just felt like sitting down was not the way for my body to to heal be a human yeah yeah to 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 heal and to be a human yeah so So, yeah, I I eventually did move away from teaching, and then I started stripping more. Mm -hmm. And then I did some gigs for the agency. Right. And then I can't remember what happened, but I I think I started working for independent as well and doing more touring. Mm -hmm. And then I had a couple scares of break-ins at the dancer houses, like two different ones. One of them was like a lot scarier because I was in it at the time and someone oh tried my to God. I was in the washroom at 3 a.m. after my shift I was alone in the house because the other dancer went to stay with her boyfriend okay and I had the window just slightly cracked because I had just gotten out of the shower oh I'm my naked. gosh and something catches my eye and a man is slowly opening the window <gasps> oh yeah my and goodness. apparently yeah don't totally totally and I was like oh fuck no and I slammed the window <laughs> shut and locked it and then just called the cops, you know, like just yeah. went, ran around to make sure that like the doors were locked, but like just called the cops immediately. Oh my God. Um, and that triggered some stuff for me. Mm-hmm. And for months after that, that, I think that was like my last touring gig for quite a while. I, I came back to town and started VIPing at Brandy's and I VIPed at Brandy's for like a year and a half. Okay. Pretty much. And I would occasionally, I think I went to Drayton Valley like a couple times in that time mm-hmm. because I felt a little bit more secure there. Over there. Yeah. It really like triggered me. And I remember like even being at home, sometimes I'd like wake up in that, you know, that kind of like night terror yeah. sort of scenario kind where of you're like frozen. Yeah. And and your brain is like that shadow is for sure someone who is going to get me right now. Oh my! And I had that happen like a bunch of times. So I was like, did I trigger some like PTSD? Oh my so, god! <laughs> yeah, that sort of stuff like kind of made me stay at home a bit more. And then while I was at home doing like VIPing at Brandy's, I was still able to produce my burlesque shows and mm-hmm. be a performer in other ways and go to tantra and train. Yeah, you know, and and learn more pull and and pursue that so that really that really helped me in my other movement journey yeah um that was good for me Mm -hmm. as much as like I'm not the greatest VIP girl but whatever (laughs) (laughs) oh my god good enough (laughs) I suck at (laughs) VIPing (laughs) not my forte thing is like I'm just not like if I loved money I'd probably be a lot better at it Mm -hmm. but you know, some people are really money oriented yeah. and they do really well in the club because they can hustle like crazy. Totally. And then I'm, and then I'm like daydreaming in the corner. <laughs> I'm like, what if this spiral connects to this spiral in <laughs> this movement? I'm like, well, fuck, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh 
that is great. <laughs> um, you know, it's like I work really well if there's that one client who really wants like an artist muse type mm. stripper. Yeah. If I could find that person, then yeah, I'll have a good night. Yeah. If that client doesn't exist. No. And I'm like, I'm like, let's hope I make my floor feedback. Woo. <laughs> There's so much um, truth in all of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it was really good for me because it was steady enough and I was happy enough, you know, coming from an artist background, like burlesque background, mm-hmm. your standards for money are pretty low. Right. So you can be happy quite easily and that helps. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And I was able to pursue other things during that time. Right. So that was cool. Very cool. And then eventually I was like, I must be on stage and then I hit the road again. <laughs> and then I was like, I must be fucking home. And, <laughs> and then I, I um, contacted the Granville Strip because I had done a a bunch of shows as a burlesque artist there when it was oh. fan club. Oh yeah. So back I in the day. contacted them and was like, Hey, can I audition for you guys? Mm. And, uh, I worked there for four years before they fired me. And then I was fired for about nine, 10 months. And then I, they hired me back again. What? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> the life of a stripper. Oh you haven't been gosh. fired from your home club once. Are you even a stripper? I don't know. <laughs> So great. Well, this is, well, like I loved just hearing about your evolution with movement, with um, erotic and sensual movement as well, Um, and your artistic journey. It's just really inspiring. I also want to talk to you about, and I think one of your listeners or followers uh, wanted to hear more about movement as therapy and how you're able to use movement to kind of move you through trauma. So, yeah, do you want to speak a little bit about that? Okay, yeah. cool. Ooh, where do I start on this? Yeah, this is such a large start? topic. <laughs> okay, so it is our right to be safe within our bodies. Mm-hmm. That is a truth. It belongs to all of us. And human beings are sensitive creatures. We are animals. We are not above being affected by very small things mm-hmm. in our lives. And it starts in our early childhood development. So, you know, we all have different kind of like attachment styles. If you've ever heard of different like attachments, mm-hmm. um, when we are, when we are babies, even we are very dependent on the quality of eye contact that we receive from our parents and especially whichever parent is in a more like spending more time with us. Right. Most of the time that is our mothers. Mm -hmm. Most of the time. So I will sort of speak to that a little bit. Okay. When you think of the world that we exist in and you think of the stress that is on new parents Mm. and then the quality of eye contact that they have to give their child in order for their child's nervous systems to develop in a stable way. There are some challenges there. Lots of challenges. Yeah. Most of us are not born wealthy. Most Mm. of us are not born into families that have tons and tons of support. So there's a lot of stress on 
new parents, especially on new mothers, balancing their maternity leave, having to go back to work at a certain time, all that stuff. Right. So our nervous system is kind of set up a certain way based off of our very initial experiences and our entry into the world and our gut microbiome. So like our bacterias in our gut Mm -hmm. are affected by the stress level that our mothers go through during their pregnancy. Oh, and it is, yes. So all this stuff is totally linked together. It's like this massive spider web where you can touch one part of the web and you will feel it somewhere down the line, like in a whole other area. We're sensitive creatures Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of things that can disrupt us, whether that's having a mother who's going through postpartum depression, Depression, because that changes the amount of eye contact that she can give to her baby. Right. And what that can do is inspire a blueprint for shame in the baby. When, when, if, so there's a thing that happens between, uh, mothers and babies. I'm like, I don't have a child and I know all this shit. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, why? I spent, okay, I spent the last like year and a half doing nothing but reading psychology books. So this is where this is all coming from. I was going to say, like, um, where did you learn all this? <laughs> so fascinating. So, yeah, it is really fascinating. Seriously, um, yeah. So basically like when, when you're depressed, you have a hard time making eye contact with people, mm-hmm. right? So if you're suffering from post part of depression, which is like, from what I've heard is absolutely brutal. Yeah. It really makes it challenging for mothers and babies to connect. Right. And there's already shame in that, you know, because mm-hmm. mothers feel like they should be a certain way and everything should be perfect and everything. And there's so much societal pressure yes. in so many different ways. And mothers are taking care of like, not only their child, but also bills and also, you know, potentially the emotional needs of their husband as well and managerial stuff of their household. So there's a lot of weight on women's shoulders. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. It's very intense. Um, If you have a baby and you're doing that looking deep into their eyes thing that mothers and babies do Mm -hmm. all the time in a good attunement, like when you have a good attachment in a good attunement, a situation, baby will break eye contact first to avoid overstimulation. Oh, that's like normal. Yeah. Okay. If you break eye contact first, the baby develops a shame posture and it will go through feeling rejected from a simple thing as eye contact break. Yeah. So like, that's the, that's the baseline of how sensitive we are as human creatures. Okay. So you think of all the other things that you go through in your life that reinforce shame, mm-hmm. that make you feel rejected, that make you feel like you are unlovable, that you are an outsider. You know, though you can feel all those things just from like your run of the mill societal interactions, going through school, going through friend breakups, going through stuff like that. Right. You start adding like traumatic events to that. Mm. And that's where things start getting more complex. And like specifically, like you can develop complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh my gosh. So if you've had multiple traumatic events or have been in a traumatic experience for a long time, mm-hmm. people who have gone through abuse right. and abusive situations, especially as children, because that's also basically a, a captive 
situation. situation right. So it's kind of, it's because you don't have control or power. You need to survive. And the people who abuse you are the people who love you as well. Oh, and that's the reality for a lot of people out it there. It is. You yeah. know? Or the people who abuse you are the people who are supposed to take care of you and they can't. And they can't, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe they aren't even abusive, but they just have their own mental health issues and they can't take care of you. They can't meet your needs as a child. That is trauma. Yeah. That is all trauma. There are so many different uh, levels of trauma trauma. Mm -hmm. that people go through and they stack in our nervous system. So it's not just like, oh, there's a single trauma, do to do goodbye. They stack one on top of each other. And then you hit oh, 30 wow. and you're like, holy fuck, why am I like this? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so your nervous system and your body, they are one and the same. So that's, you know, kind of nice, kind of not nice in some situations. Mm-hmm. It's not nice because if you've had a certain amount of trauma, you know, depending on your sensitivities, all this stuff, and everyone's different, right? Yeah. Like some people are going to experience something and they're going to be able to recover from it and be like, okay, cool. You know, they have a more resilient nervous system. Other people are more sensitive and they're not going to recover, you know, without extra, extra support. Yeah. There's, there's so many things that go into this. Like, especially start looking at like generational trauma, you start looking at poverty, you start looking at, you know, access to medical care and stuff like that. These are all things that influence a person's ability to, re-stabilize okay. after trauma and to heal. When you go through traumatic events, those memories are stored in a different way from your regular memories. Okay. You know, your regular memories you have, you know them to be in the past. Right. And they don't they don't hit you in the same way as a traumatic memory goes. Whereas yeah. if you have like a traumatic memory you feel it in your body. Yeah. You get transported back like flashback style, whether or not it's like a visual flashback or it's just a, your body has a panic attack because it feels as if it is in danger the same way that it did when you went through that event. Or it feels like it's in danger and is expressing its response because when you went through the traumatic event before, you weren't able to express it. Right. And that's a very common thing, like shutting down in the body, mm-hmm. like going through body shutdown is really, really common. Dissociating is really common. There's lots of people who are like, oh, I don't remember my childhood. Right. And that's because at some point your brain decided that it was too painful mm-hmm. to experience, you know, the, the lack of love, the rejection, the abuse, the whatever, mm-hmm. the not having your needs met was too much to experience so your brain was like cool i'm just gonna shut that out yeah i'm just gonna erase it yeah exactly because it's too painful it's like the the more sensitive of a person you are the more that sort of stuff affects you and who's Mm -hmm. sensitive artists performers creators you know musicians yes Yes. (laughs) our creative our creative population so Um, And those people are also, a lot of them, I would say, are also healers for other people. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So we, we need our sensitive people. We yes. need them. We need them to be okay. So because these things are stored in the body, when you have like a body flashback, you have a trigger or whatever, it also means that they can be released okay. using the body. There are a number of different things that can help from like a therapy perspective. For me personally, somatic experiencing has been really, really helpful. And my, my therapist is a somatic experiencing therapist and she, you know, will go, it's like a regular counseling. And then there are some things that she will do. So if I'm going through something where I'm a little bit, she can sense I'm a little bit more hyped up Mm -hmm. about it. She'll be like, okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to pause here and let's, let's go into your felt sense. What do you feel in your body right now? And that's one of the things where I'll be like, okay. So then I start feeling my feet on the floor, my butt on my seat, Mm -hmm. where my breath is in my chest. And you don't have to change it. You just start becoming aware of your felt sense. Because a lot of the times, if you're the kind of person to freeze and go into shutdown, Mm -hmm. that felt sense is the thing that's shut down. Because you don't want to feel. You don't want to be there. Your, your brain is taking you away. So okay. creating a safe environment where you can start feeling what your body is feeling and feel supported in that. So like having a therapist or having like a, someone there who's a very trusted individual can mm-hmm. really help that. Right. So that's something in sort of somatic experiencing. There are a lot of other exercises. There is a thing that you can do. It's like a vocalization it's very similar oh. to a yoga om. Okay. But it's on, yeah, it's on the tone vu. So vu. you do like a really long, low vu. I'm just going to do it. Do it. Yeah, I was going to say, guys, demonstrate. Yeah, and then please. you guys will have this in your tool bank if you're feeling like overwhelmed and you need to have something stimulate your mm-hmm. vagus nerve. This is the nerve thing into parasympathetic nervous system. Okay. Into your like rest, digest, chill out. Okay, so the VU, what you're going to be doing is you're going to take a nice deep breath. Okay. Say a nice, low, long VU, and you want to feel it resonating and vibrating in your chest and kind of like in your deep throat. So I'm going to take a deep breath. Okay. VU. VU. Yeah, you do it to the all the way to the end of the breath. All the way to the end, And you okay. do it three times. So... It's very, it's very similar to yoga in that, in that ohm response. And you could easily do an ohm as well. I talked about the vagus nerve briefly. Like I mentioned that it exists. Yes. So the vagus nerve, if you haven't heard of it, it's these two nerves and it comes from the Latin word that means to wander or wandering. And what it does, it travels, it's one of your, like your cranial nerves and it travels all the way from the top of your head down the back of your throat and then there's two of them and they split to and touch different organs okay and the vagus nerve is responsible for your sympathetic nervous system and your parasympathetic nervous system so your fight or flight versus your rest and digest oh yes Yes, this is sound familiar for my psychology uh-huh. 101 days. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> so cool. when you go through traumatic, stressful experiences, you can get stuck in one mode. Mm-hmm. 
the dorsal vagus nerve is also responsible for so your shutdown your freeze response right so you have like fight flight freeze and fawn those are social responses that are sort of controlled by the vagus nerve okay Things you can do to bring your vagus nerve back into equilibrium during times of stress, mm-hmm. during times of body shutdown, are yoga, right. breath work, yes. singing, humming, gargling, oh. of all things. Yeah. yeah. Splashing cold water on your, your face and neck. Okay. That's yeah. also really good for your vagus nerve. So doing like hydrotherapy, kind of like spa stuff where you do like really warm and then really cold is helpful. Right. Okay. Dancing. Anything that's going to get you connecting with your body and breathing in a very intentional way is really helpful. Okay. So this is where movement comes into play. This is where movement comes into play. So creating a safe space in your body is really key. So yoga is a very, very healing thing for the body because it creates mind-body connection. I don't know about you, but I I don't normally cry in yoga classes, but this last (laughs) year, I think it was like the yoga class opened up again after being closed for a while. I think it was in the summer or something. Yeah, summer, they were open for sure. Yeah, and I went to class and then we started in child's pose. And I just started crying immediately. And I was like, oh, wow. okay, cool. <laughs> you know, I was like, all right. It was bound to happen eventually, I guess. So, <laughs> oh, the other thing, crying is good for your vagus nerve. Yes. So, makes you feel yeah, that after. helps reset <laughs> your nervous system. So okay. that's cool. Okay. Movement is a way to establish a connection with your body on your terms. If, if you're going through a lot of stress, mm-hmm. it's good to connect more to like slower movements. Okay. Because if you're doing a lot of cardio, that causes a cortisol spike in your body and it can further stress you out. Okay. Yeah. So focusing a bit more on like the slower yoga practices or like yin yoga. Yeah. That's is helpful. It's really helpful during times of stress. Okay. That being said, you know, sometimes you just got to work things out and you want to throw yourself around and you want to run or you want to dance really hard. And that's, that's releasing as well. So it's not like, oh, don't do it. It's just make space for the restorative practice. Yeah. In moderation. Because it it serves a different purpose. (laughs) Right. What type of movement people choose doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. It's more about, I think, making the choice to show up for yourselves right yeah that makes you make a good point there yeah because that, that's like the hardest part I think is showing up for ourselves showing up for ourselves is really challenging and mm-hmm. especially especially I think for I mean for everyone but especially for really sensitive people and especially for people who have gone through a lot of stress or through traumas mm-hmm. because a lot of the times we learn to minimize our own needs, like to the, to the point where you might go through an experience and be like, wait, I have needs, you right. know, and realize that you, you have in fact 
human needs. Yeah. Needs for safety, needs for like emotional safety. And they haven't been met and you've just been shutting down mm-hmm. the whole time. Learning how to show up for yourself to meet your own needs or to give others around you a framework for how to, you know, meet needs or respect boundaries is, um, it's kind of like life's work, right? You know? Yeah. It's, it's really, it takes a lot of deep self-awareness, which is a very fucking uncomfortable process. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Emphasis on process. <laughs> it is. A, yeah. It is a process. It's a, it's absolutely a journey. Learning how to have self-compassion is, is definitely a forever journey. Yes. For sure. 100%. Self-forgiveness, self-compassion, self-love, that mm-hmm. little family of things where you're like, oh, wow. It's, it's so easy to extend that to other people. Right. Um, why is it so difficult to give that to, to ourselves? Yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like some- and the answer is, you know, rooted in our, in our, life experiences and rooted in the the blueprint that was given to us in sort of our childhood development. And this is not to say that like parents are bad and blah, no. blah, because like most of them are just doing the best they can. Like look at capitalism. Okay. Like look at the world we live in. Yeah. Like <laughs> people <laughs> are doing the best they can. Like the system is not set up for us as living breathing feeling creatures mm-hmm. you know it right. literally treats us as machines yeah so so we need to go as we need to be as kind to ourselves as possible, as possible for sure i feel like we don't give or we don't allow ourselves to feel good sometimes oh you know because we don't feel we deserve it it's scary to feel deserving of love Mm-hmm. You know, because of the times that it's been rejected or taken away or, you know, has harmed us. It's just, it's really, it's a really, like, self-love is a very scary idea. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So. Or foreign idea. So, <laughs> yeah. Some, or, it's right? a, or it's a foreign idea. I, you know, I've been through deep phases of self-hatred in my life. I've been through not wanting to be alive, you know, and it's intense, you know, and you're like, why am I like this? I went through, I went through flooding my place. Oh, no. Um, Yeah. uh, I guess in 2018 or whatever, it was like really, really traumatic and it brought up so much stuff. Oh, my God. Like it just... It just brought up so much stuff in the process of like looking at kind of the rubble around from that whole scenario. Like I was displaced for five months. Oh my I went gosh. and lived with my friends. We didn't have insurance at the time because oh of no. other issues and whatever. Just, you know, just a culmination of a bunch of shit. And then it was just like looking at all the rubble around the literal rubble and then being like, this is actually straight up a metaphor for my life. Mm. Like, you know, where I was like able to hold things together on the outside and go do a good job at work and whatever. 
but I was also like really under a lot of stress and people can feel energy coming off of you. Yeah. So, you know, things just weren't really going so great for me at that time. This past year has (laughs) not been the worst for me. It was the year Mm. before that was the worst for me out of the two. Yeah. 2019 for me was really bad because due to all the stress that I've been going through for such a long period of time, Mm -hmm. my body was like, cool, we're going to shut down. So it stopped digesting food. Oh my God. It stopped. Yeah. No, it like shut down. I had no energy. Um, my hormones were all out of whack. Doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. They couldn't, they're like, okay, well you don't have an autoimmune disorder, but you're reading as if you might, but you Mm. don't like your thyroid is giving us crazy readings, but you don't have these disorders, like just a bunch of things. And it's just because my body was so taxed for so long. Yeah. And then it just, and then it just stopped. So Mm. that's why I started getting into like learning about the vagus nerve and learning about all like trauma healing and whatever. Um, the book, the body keeps the score is a really, really good book. Okay. And yeah, so that's a, that was a life changing book for me for sure. Um, another really good book is the mind gut connection. Okay. That really helps me because I just have like, I mean, I have like, I now have IBS, (laughs) which I didn't really have before. I had some sense activities before but now I'm like I have IBS so like that's <laughs> that's oh, a wow. thing and IBS is really linked to trauma and stress really so, oh my goodness yeah yeah basically like I think it's something like 90% of people who have trauma will develop IBS or something later wow. crazy yeah Oh, yeah. Well, I'll I'll be sure to um, list those books and those resources in the show notes as well in case anybody's interested in reading up further on this because there's so much. Mm -hmm. This is just the tip of the iceberg. So, (laughs) yeah, I yeah, there's there are a lot of books that I could recommend, but The Body Keeps Score is really good. The Mind Gut Connection is really good for people who suspect they might have ADD. Scattered Minds is really, really good. And for people who are dealing with, you know, complex post-traumatic stress disorder or survivors of abuse, there is a book called Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder from Surviving to Thriving. It's by Pete Walker. And it's also very good. And that one, uh, I think all of these books come in audiobook as well. Oh, even better. Sweet. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Accessibility is key, you know. (laughs) I'll plug those notes. For sure. Yeah. So I went, I went through a bunch of stuff and then my health absolutely crashed. I basically couldn't work and I just had nothing to do, but sit there and think about myself, my internal world and how to heal. And every time I like came to sort of like a new layer of a new answer that I thought it was that had like a little bit of improvement and then something else would flare up and I was like, what the fuck is going on here? It'd be like peeling back layer after layer of issues and then, and then going like two steps backwards. Mm. And then I got to a point where I was like, it's going to be trauma, isn't it? The answer is trauma. 
right? Oh my God. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, yep, the answer is trauma. Cool. This is all trauma. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. We're just so sensitive. It's Very. like what the body responds to. Mm-hmm. And how and that the being body said, responds like, to. You know, I've done a lot of yoga. I've done a lot of Pilates. I've done a lot of meditation oh yeah meditation helps with vagus nerve as well I knew I was forgetting one <laughs> well, that time when my health was really bad I just basically sat on my balcony all summer and drank various herbal teas and sat under my wind chimes and did guided meditations and the one that destroyed me the most was the one on self-forgiveness so I was like this one's hard oh so, my god I bet you know, I realized recently that I was in a basically triggered state for about two years. Oh my gosh. And I was just in like a heightened fight or flight state right. for an extended period of time, which is why my body shut down. Because mm-hmm. it was like, I cannot maintain this cortisol production anymore. Yeah. Like, you don't get any more cortisol anymore. Like, it was bad. I'd like wake up, have about 20 minutes of feeling okay, and then be like, cool, I need to sleep again because. Like, I just didn't, my body couldn't function. Yeah. So, and and that's the thing with, like, stress is, you know, you keep creating cortisol, which is your stress hormone. Mm-hmm. That, you need it in short bursts for right. certain things, like running away from a bear or, you know, doing an 18-minute stage show <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, you're going to be late for an appointment or whatever. You need, like, a little bit of cortisol to get you through your day yeah. and to... You know, it's it's all about balance. Of course. But if you're in nonstop cortisol production, what happens is it starts stealing from your other hormones because oh. it's like, yo, you're never going to need to get pregnant because you're stressed the fuck out. So we're just going to steal your sex hormones. Oh, my God. And that yeah. can affect so many things like skin, obviously your sex drive, weight, yeah. all these things. It, it just really starts getting to you. And then – and it's not just like that. It's also like – it affects your thyroid. It affects your metabolism. Everything. Um, the other thing that cortisol production does is it can trigger, it triggers an inflammatory response because it's getting your body ready for battle pretty much. Yeah. You know? So it's like, cool, you're going to get injured. We're going to have an inflammatory response and we're going to heal faster. If you are constantly in that state, you're just going to be dealing with chronic inflammation. Oh my gosh, um, and that's not chronic good. inflammation can. This is where autoimmune stuff starts coming into play, right? So autoimmune disorders can absolutely be triggered by chronic stress. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. and there's there's a link between inflammation and stress. Yeah, I actually suffer from a couple autoimmune disorders, and one of them. We never figured out what the onset was, but likely the answer was stress. And I was really stressed yeah, out the time. Yeah, I'm like, fuck. That's my go-to answer for everything now. I'm like, have you thought about trauma? <laughs> <laughs> it makes it a lot funnier. <laughs> but it makes a lot of sense too, but it just sucks. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. So like figuring out how to sort of disrupt those cycles and the body is really is really challenging and be its own form of stress right. as well, which is like very unfair. <laughs> you know, you're like, I am stressed out trying to 
be not stressed. Yeah, trying to de-stress. Sucks. <laughs> yeah. So stress is really, really bad for us. And Very bad. it just, it affects us in so many ways. And one of the things that it can really affect is um, what's called social engagement. Okay. So social engagement is, like I mentioned before, is sort of ruled by your vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. And it's how you make eye contact. Right. And it's very subtle cues. It changes your facial expressions ever so slightly. So people who are in a fight or flight response, even if their face, even if they're smiling or whatever, there are slight cues that are changed in the face. Interesting. And people will read that off of you, even if they don't know what's going on. They will, they will feel various things, maybe more discomfort, maybe whatever, but like you will come across in a different light than if you are relaxed Interesting. and feeling balanced, Yeah, you know, which is also very unfair because it's like, you know, when you're stressed out, you need human connection. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh. if you can't get it because you're stressed out, well, that sucks. Yeah, and so, that's that's such a testament to like how people are feeling this year and also last year yes. in 2020. Like our bodies yes. are trying to figure shit out, but like without the social interaction with people and our loved yes. ones, it's it can create some scary kind of situations. Totally. So, yeah. And it's <laughs> that is definitely a really big issue for mental health yeah. during the pandemic. Huge. It is non-negotiable that we are social creatures. Yeah. Like we need eye contact, human in-person eye contact. contact. Yeah. We need it. It is literally healing to our nervous systems to have that. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's so important and, and we need people to be there with us when we're going through things. We need yeah. people to hold space. Basically our Western white supremacist capitalist (laughs) society is really wrong about us Mm -hmm. because it hasn't left any room for these types of very necessary human experiences. Like whether we talk about like just society's general vibe towards sex work Mm -hmm. um, outside the pandemic and then what's happening now you know, with, you know, censorship and clubs being closed. Oh my God. You know, (laughs) and oh, right. It's just so absurd. And just like all these, all these things and like social gatherings being not allowed and and essentially, essentially sex work being even more illegal scenario. Mm -hmm. Totally. And we also still have to talk about that too. (laughs) Like, like looking at my notes, I'm like, oh my gosh, we also have to talk about how sex workers and you yourself as well pivoting to that online sort of platform that that type of um type of work now so obviously like tons of clubs pretty much almost all of the clubs are closed here in bc and i know that you sometimes perform at the cellar door strip show which is a virtual strip club I think it yes. was started by Jen, Jennifer, yeah. who was on the yeah. show before. Yeah. Did you want to speak yeah. a little bit on that experience and how different that is being online than, you know, performing in person? Sure. Yeah. 
it's not different for me for that particular event. It is no different for me performing online or in person because maybe like, this is not going to be every stripper's experience, Mm -hmm. but I could go out on stage and dance for one person and still have a great time. I can dance for people who are not tipping me and I'm still going to have a great time because I am not there because I'm money minded. I wish I was. Oh my God, I'd be so much better at it, but I'm not. I am on stage and I am meditating. It is my time to be in my body and to express myself. And if people want to join me, that's fabulous. If they don't want to join me, that's cool. I'm going anyways. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) and one of the things I get, like the thing I get the most out of stripping that is like the most valuable to me is that change room experience is going and showing up and being with my ladies and being like, yay, you know, and just having that camaraderie. Yeah. And And that that, socialization. That team feeling. The banter. I miss the banter. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like for me doing cellar door is kind of like the best of everything because we go and set up a pole and there's just a few of us and it's all safe and we do our performances and we love performing and then we tear the pole down and we go home yeah or maybe we go for snacks but it's like, <laughs> snacks is great <laughs> you know that's like there's no there's no loss there except for like obviously the income but yeah. like it's it's such a beautiful experience and it's it's like an ideal mm-hmm experience. I, I love that um, outlook that you have. Yeah. I, I really like that answer. That was something I didn't expect. So that's really, really, really cool. <laughs> no, I like that perspective. I felt it would be a little unexpected. I was like, oh, I'm a bit of an oddball here. No, it's great. I love it when like I expect something and then it's like completely something different. So again, I'm forever just enlightened by you. <laughs> I had this kind of like flashes back to in like in-person club experiences there was a night that I had where it was a shitty night like the audience was awful like you know those nights we're just like oh my god who raised you why why are you here when they just stare at you and they give no energy you can feel them sucking the energy away from you but they're not giving anything in return and it's like super draining and I remember being on stage and being angry about that because I was just like oh these people are vampires and I was angry (laughs) and I did like two shows yeah and I remembered like thinking about like during my show I remember thinking about how it was upsetting what they were doing Mm -hmm. it's not that I was wrong because like definitely it's upsetting (laughs) definitely I deserved more like all of us deserved more that night they sucked (sighs) but I went home angry and I was like, fuck. Like, that, oh. <laughs> that didn't need to stick with me. No. You know? I mean, it was a good lesson. I'm glad it did. But it affected my whole night, and it affected my quality of sleep. And right. it stuck with me, and I, I thought about it for a long time. And I was like, wow, they ruined my show because I let them. Yeah, you allowed them to. I allowed them to ruin my show. I'm like, I didn't need to withhold my love from myself mm-hmm. on stage. Yeah. 
like, cause that's really what it is. Like when I'm, when I'm on stage and I'm dancing, if I'm connected, I feel like I have opened a door and I've entered a room of beaming white light. It's a meditative space. And I just enter that room. It doesn't matter what type of performing I'm doing. If I'm on, I walk through a door. Maybe it's a different door if I'm singing, but like I come (laughs) to the same place, you know? And what I did in that experience was I denied myself that ability to come to that safe, happy, connected space. Yeah. And I realized that. So that was a, that was a really good lesson for me. And I think it also, I think that was like what, three years ago or something, maybe four. Um, it, it brought me back to when I used to be like a competitive piano player and, and competitive, like classical singer. Oh my God. Um, and (laughs) I did that growing up. Um, and you know, competitions really were, were really hard for me because it's out external validation and it's judgment. Yeah. And I went through a lot of shit around that in my family and it was really hard. I like wound up having like a nervous breakdown as a teenager and like, yeah, it was some, it was some intense shit that I won't like fully get into, but just (laughs) basically, you know, it made me shy away from competitions because it, Mm. it ruined my love of playing. Right. And I remembered when I used to play piano and I was just doing it because I, loved it not because I wanted to win not because whatever like that stuff is meaningless yeah so having that experience at the club really it checked me I was like wait Mm. I'm not doing this for the external validation I mean it's nice when you get it (laughs) especially when it's money but like (laughs) you know like but like ultimately I am going to be a performer and an artist no matter what because I love it yeah so that was a, that really, really checked me. And I think that is kind of what influences my experience of doing, you know, being able to be a part of Jen's cellar door strip club mm-hmm. online. Yeah. Because I'm just like, sweet. And she was like, oh, I just hope we all make $50. And I was like, I'll do it for clout. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'll do it regardless. I don't even care. I get to go do it. And it feels great. feels great. Yeah. Um, it's so nice to yeah, have Yeah, it's just it's nice. It's nice to be able to have that. And I get to meditate in that beautiful performance existence space. I love it. It's a great opportunity and it's such a cool way to showcase um, our, our local dancers here. And again, it's put on by Jennifer, who was on the podcast earlier in season one too yeah. so she's just an incredible human being i'm like wow i'm like i love her you're so cool <laughs> she's the one that i lived with for like oh six months oh no when way. my place flooded yeah oh, we wow. went from sharing a locker at work to me calling her up and me being like i don't know who else can help me wow. and she was like yeah like we weren't like besties at that point mm-hmm. but i just knew I was like this person wow. and we lived in her 500 square foot apartment oh my God. with my two birds, <laughs> her two guinea pigs, her <gasps> rabbit and her chihuahua. Oh and <laughs> so there was oh like six animals and two strippers in 500 square feet. And we shared a bed for like half a year. Wow. And, um, that's incredible. Yeah, she saw me through my flood. She saw me through getting fired. She saw me through, you know, the beginnings of the dissolvement of my marriage. Like, just 
She's seeing me through some shit, let me tell you. And she is an amazing human being who I have forever deep love for and just mad respect. She is solid. And also listen to the episode. Yes. (laughs) She's incredible. But why don't we move over to some Q&A because there are a few questions that came in as well. Cool. So first one is coming from someone from Alberta. What is the difference between burlesque and stripping and which do you like better? God, I hate that question. (laughs) That is one of the, oh my God, I'm just going to get sassy here, but that is one of the most annoying questions that ever comes across. Like (laughs) it's very generic, but oh someone it's I feel like someone answered this question one time in a way that was perfect. I wish I could remember it. I wish I'd like screenshotted it. But it's like it's like the difference between burlesque and stripping is that no one in the club ever asked that question. (laughs) Yes. Something like that. Yes. Um I'm not gonna choose between any performance style because I don't have to. You don't have to. Yeah, exactly. You definitely don't have I am, to. I don't identify as either a burlesque performer or a stripper. I am both. Yes. And I am both wherever I am. Yes. Like, it's like, I don't know. You make more money as a stripper. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we all like money. So, <laughs> yeah. It's a good answer. Um, There's less pretentiousness in stripping. Yes. Lots there's of less, in... um, there's, there's less of the, there's less, a little bit less judgment in stripping. Oh. There's less like morality, like hmm. we don't use the word classy in stripping. Right. But they do. <laughs> Pretty much. Burlesque. Okay. That kind of sums it for sure. I understand mm-hmm. where you're coming from. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I get a little like I get a little testy around that question. I know like it comes from like an honest perspective, but you know what? There are articles on Google that you can find if you Google that same question. And it's like <laughs> you will find lots of really nuanced articles yes. on it. You'll find a lot of information that will help decipher what the difference is, really. Yeah. To me, there's no real difference other than I'm in both worlds. Yes. And yeah. And that's a good answer too. Like you don't have to, it's not a, a box. I'm either this, either that you can be as many things that you want to be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess the different, um, another difference is power dynamics. Who's booking you? What choice in music you can make? What choice in costuming you can make? Right. Like what, like stripping is more structured. Mm. Burlesque is more free for all. Rain. But yeah. then there's also a lot of issues in the burlesque community as well. Yes. You know, like there's been a lot of, a lot of things come out in terms of, you know, a lot of racist racism. behaviors coming to light, a yes. lot of um, classism, a lot of stigma towards sex workers. Yes. We, in Vancouver, we have a very... And I'd say, like, in in Western Canada, like, Alberta as well, we generally have a very supportive of strippers burlesque scene. A lot of burlesque performers have, at the very least, dabbled in stripping mm-hmm. yeah. um, or are doing some form of sex work as well or are full-blown strippers now. So right. it's fully in our communities. 
Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of places in the world that really look down on strippers. Totally. And there is a divide between burlesque and stripping, and it's stupid. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely shed light on that in a couple of the past episodes on the pod too. So if you guys need more information on that, you guys can listen in on those episodes. Um, oh, here's another one. Um, how were you able to shoot in clubs if photography is not allowed? And we didn't get to talk a lot about um, strippers with a uh, stripper with a camera, but if you want to briefly talk about that as well yeah. as answer the question, <laughs> that'd be great. I can shoot in clubs yeah. because I am both a photographer and a stripper who works in those clubs. Right. So um, I'm a trusted person, both by generally by like club owners mm-hmm. and by the dancers. Yes. So I have a relationship with the dancers that I'm photographing. And based off of my work, people have asked me like, hey, will you come shoot me at this club? And all the clubs that I've shot at are all cool with that mm-hmm. um you know photography isn't allowed in clubs because of privacy issues yes. and permission issues so I just get permission and also I'm like I am a trusted person so when it's huh so <laughs> I chose the name stripper with a camera because it's a play on the phrase guy with a camera right okay right so it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a poke at that concept Mm. we are so used to in this industry dudes being like i have a camera and you're like great oh god (laughs) i know i want to take photos of you i'm like please don't yeah Um, i hate that (laughs) you know so because i am a part of this industry and i am a photographer that's where i'm able to do it and you know, it's, it's just worked out and my work is good. So yes, that's where part of the, part of the trust comes in. Yes. Um, and yeah, just generally I promote the dancers and the clubs and I do it in a way that is, it's not from a male gaze. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, I might post a lot of ass shots, but I feel like the captions that I post with that ass shots do not objectify or dehumanize the subjects. Um, and that's right. like my biggest thing with stripper with a camera is that I am trying to visually fight against stigma and the dehumanization of strippers and sex workers by showing what it is we do in the clubs and trying to capture those magic moments you know where you you feel something like I have watched strippers and cried (laughs) I love strippers like I love strippers so much like I think about it like I'm emotional again but (laughs) um you know and it's just like I see that power on stage Mm -hmm. and I just want the world to know because we don't deserve the whack treatment that we get (laughs) from society you know I'm like you have no idea how magical these human beings are no idea yeah like you have no idea the healing that people that strippers have brought to people that sex workers bring to people I've I've seen it happen on stage one time I was watching I was watching Lynx you just had her Uh, recently on the podcast I did I was watching Lynx 
and I had my camera, thankfully, and she was dancing, and she came down off the pole because there was these women right in her front row, right in front of the pole, and they were just so feeling her, and it was just this, like, togetherness mm, feeling. Yeah. Definitely. Am I cry? Let me think about this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and she came down off the pole and was dancing in front of them, and her energy was so uplifting that they stood up. Wow. From their chairs, and they started dancing in front of her with her. That's and it was the amazing. most fucking beautiful thing I've, like, ever seen. And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh my <laughs> what a God. blessing. <laughs> like, And, you know, and they, like, just showered her with money. They showered, like, all the girls with money That's awesome. that night. And, yeah, and I was just like, this people need to know. This is, like that was a healing experience for those women. Yeah. You know, they had a powerful woman in front of them with them sharing energy with them and they shared their energy with her. And that's, that's why I share these images is because Mm. I, I want to share that energy with people. So even if you're not there at the club, even if you can't experience those things for whatever reason, you can still get a sense for the, absolute majesty magic yeah that's totally. going on yeah that's so incredible i love hearing that story i just really wanted to know like what the motivations were behind it but like you said everything succinctly and beautifully like that's it's just so powerful those moments yeah. right and like and one of the things that like really motivated me starting circle with the camera was when we had like a dancer loss in the community like mm. I guess it was like four years ago. It's hard. To, time is hard. Okay. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> we had a dancer lost in the community and they were trying to collect photos of her for sort of a memorial. And she was one of those people that wasn't really super on social media and didn't have a lot of photos. Oh. And I had wanted to have her in one of my shows in, in retro strip show. Yeah. Um, Cause I was like, yeah, she's got a good vibe. She's a good person. I like her. And you know, and she passed away. So that never, mm. that never happened. Right. And it was just like, it was like, oh. And then I just thought like, none of us had photos of her for memorial. And I was like, who's keeping track of us? Yeah. Good question. And yeah. And then the Grandel Strip asked me to like, take some photos for the club. Oh, and no then I And then I kept taking photos because I was like, as soon as I picked up my camera and brought it in, and started capturing stuff, I was like, oh, we can keep track of us. Totally. Like, and I think, you know, having our voices and having our experience from our voices out there and, and imagery from us out there is so important to the narrative. Um, Absolutely. Because usually our voices are taken away from us and we are told we are a certain way. We have other people acting on our behalf. Yes. And you were very... We're very deplatformed in a lot of different ways, especially yes. now with all the censorship and shit. But like, yes. it's, um, <laughs> so having control of our narratives, control of our story, is really important in so many ways, and it's important in a historical level. Mm-hmm. So, wow. start with the camera. That's that's my contribution. I love to, it. to our narrative. That's so incredible. I love that story and. I know, like, 
I just want to kind of bring it up right now too. I know this is kind of a tangent too, but your that account was taken down off Instagram. Yeah. Did you yeah. did you want to talk about that really quickly as well? I'll briefly touch on that. It was taken down mm-hmm. and it took over two months to get it back. It That's took crazy hundreds of people advocating for me. It yes. took it also took me getting through a channel to a person who directly advocates between Instagram, Facebook, and artists. And it was on when it finally got to her and her intervention. If it hadn't gotten to her, I never would have gotten my account back pretty much. Wow. And yeah. And then basically Instagram was like, oh yeah, we did that by mistake. And I'm like, thank If she had not advocated for me, I wouldn't have my account back. And mm-hmm. and I also find it, like, terribly rude that they just, like, take things away and then they're like, oh, yeah, that was our mistake. But they don't actually apologize no. for the, like, harm <laughs> yeah. that it causes. Yeah, um, lots of harm. And they're just like, okay, well, you can just have your account back, but, like, we still don't like you. So, of course, I'm shadow banned to shit on that account. So, yeah. but whatever. I just don't even care. Like, I can't <laughs> care about a lot of things. Um, and, like... So, like, that's cool that I got it back. Um, that being said, there are – that was, like, I think before SESTA-FOSTA came into place. Really? Um, oh, my God. Or, like, or right at the beginning of it, maybe. But yeah. it's uh, – now that SESTA-FOSTA and SISEA or whatever it is, S-I-S-E-A, yes. these are all, like, American things yes. that affect us globally. I know. Which is totally, totally messed up. Like, it's, it's, I said, I saw someone like call it imperialism and I was like, "Mm, interesting. Because Mm. we don't have a say in any of these regulations. No. But they affect us. Yeah. And they affect the most marginalized groups of people. Yes. They affect sex workers. They affect the BIPOC community. They affect, you know, trans Trans sex workers yes and and the things that these that these um bills are meant to help you know and help prevent which is like child exploitation yeah etc etc they do not help it at all like they do not assist what they do is they push it further underground into the dark web where that is completely not traceable and not trackable, and it makes it way harder for officials to actually keep people safe. And it's totally messed up because they, there is actually information on that, which is, like, proven. Mm-hmm. But we have these, we have these religious oh power holders. Yes. These religious lobbyists with a lot of resources, a lot of power, a lot of... A lot of Basically, say. a lot of... A lot of white power, yes. you know, a lot of money, and they are in control of what we are able to do online, and they are responsible for censorship. We are now looking at Twitter. Yeah, that's starting to delete thing. sex workers without warning. Yes, I am doing an episode on that coming up, which is going to be another explosion. Right? I don't <sighs> even know what to do about that. I'm just like, I'm like. Well, shit. Yeah. Like, do I even have the energetic resources? Like, like, like where are we supposed to go? How many ways can we be deplatformed? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's just exhausting. Like, I just don't even it want to participate. It is exhausting. 
I went draining. over a month without posting on Instagram. You know, like yeah. I was just like, I don't know what to say. Like I did like my big, my big thing about like, yo, this is happening. And like sex workers are suffering. Yeah. And then I was like, I have nothing left to say now. Like, I don't even know what to say. And now I'm like, okay, I guess I got to promote my classes. But like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the need to survive is so real, but it's like, you're fighting for survival on so many different planes of existence. Yes. Like it is exhausting. It's super draining. And mm-hmm. I'm like, a, I'm a pretty privileged person, you know, and I find it exhausting and yeah. draining. Like, it's not like, like I have a support network that I'm like, I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to be homeless if like shit goes awry, you know, like it's, right. it's going to be all right. But there are people who have not that type of support network, people mm-hmm. who have far less privileges than I do. And they are fighting for their survival, not just in sex work and in life, but also online. They're right. fighting to exist while they're trying to fight to survive that is too much fighting. That's, like there's like, it takes so much out of you. Yeah. Like, like, I don't know how many booze we need to say to like <laughs> chill out from all this, like having to be in a constant, like fight or flight response, but it's a lot of booze. It is. Right. It'll be a lot, <laughs> a lot of collective booze. So many booze. <laughs> <laughs> I try to make a lot of jokes. I'm just like trauma jokes. Kind of lighten the yeah. mood, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, because how do you cope, right? Yeah. How do you cope? Okay. So, <sighs> herbal tea, yoga. Yes. Voo. Connecting with your breath. Voo, a nice voo once in a while, <laughs> three times in a while. Petting animals. Petting animals is good. Yes. Pet therapy. <laughs> yeah. Dancing, singing. All the things. All the things. Like all, all the things all we my, discussed. All my hobbies are like actually all my coping mechanisms for having <laughs> to exist. Okay. But so necessary. <laughs> so necessary. They are. They really are. Um, <laughs> well, I guess yeah. we'll, we'll end on a lighter note because there was a fun question, I think. Well, but I think it's fun <laughs> as a question. Okay. But what products do you use for your hair? This person was curious because you okay. have fabulous hair. <laughs> Thank you. I use Davines products. Okay. So um, I use their, I use like their oil serum. I don't heat style my hair ever. Good. Yeah. I let my hair naturally dry or I will wet set it in pin curls if I want it to be really fancy and I'll let it dry over the course of like 24 to 48 hours to set. Yeah. I use Davines shampoo and conditioner. I use like the the new new conditioner because it is like the thick stuff and my hair really thrives with moisture like it's a thirsty she's a thirsty bitch you know um <laughs> so yeah the davines products i find are really nice they really smell good they are expensive Ooh, so that sucks mm. but you know i wash my hair like once a week so that's helpful good um, yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> And bonus, it yeah. smells good, as you said. So, yay. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they are um, a company that's committed to sustainability. Oh, okay, good. So they've, they're, they've got a really good, like, business ethic behind them. So I feel I feel good about, you know, spending my money yeah. on their products. Yay. And this is not sponsored by them, FYI. <laughs> it is not sponsored by them. I'm just really good at advertising. <laughs> Davines, please sponsor me. (laughs) (laughs) 
please. <laughs> Free product for all. <laughs> please sponsor me so I can talk about being a hoe and then hair toss at the end of it. It'd be great. <laughs> One can dream, right? <laughs> right. One day. And I guess that's it for questions. But before I let you go, where can we find you? Okay. Well, if you can find me on the <laughs> internet, um, <laughs> I am the.nikki.nindors on Instagram. I am Nikki Nindors on Twitter. I can't actually remember my exact handle right at this moment, <laughs> but you can find me there. I am on Twitter. If you find my Instagram, my Twitter handle is listed. I think it's like Nikki underscore nine doors. Okay. Think so. I'm trying to remember like my bio, <laughs> what it looks like in my mind. Um, <laughs> if you want to find me virtually in performance land for seller door strip club, that is onlyfans.com slash seller door strip club. And we perform on the second Sunday of every month. Our next show is on February 14th. Oh, which also happens to be three days before my birthday. Oh, so, this is come exciting. to my stripper birthday party. And, oh, yay. Um, you can also find me teaching at Tantra Fitness. Yes. I do a online class on Mondays at 1.30 p.m. Pacific time. And that is a dancer conditioning class. There's no pole required. It's a very groovy flow of the class I get some good feedback on it yay um people generally feel good after I feel good after it so it's like there's some there's some sneaky nervous system stuff in there you won't know (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also am on patreon yes so you can find me there like patreon.com slash Nikki nine doors okay and I've got a ton of footage from strip club shows back when strip clubs were a thing and I also have been evolving my patreon to be more of a tutorial place so i've got a live stream dancer conditioning class every saturday at noon and i'm going to start doing different movement workshops as well probably during weekdays um and that'll be like pole tutorials floor work tutorials and just generally moving our bodies and you know keeping our minds intact through movement love Um, that yeah, so I'm on Patreon doing that. I also have an OnlyFans. Sometimes there's naked yoga. Occasionally there's been a blowjob. I don't know. There's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm kind of all over, but I've got all my links listed in my Instagram. Perfect. So, yeah. I will plug all cool. the li- links in the show notes below if you haven't already clicked it. And that's it for this week's episode. Don't forget to like, rate, share, review, and subscribe. I've been talking for a long time today. <laughs> it's Strip by Sia on Instagram, as well as my personal Sia Steph. And we will catch everyone in for another episode next Sunday. Stay tuned. And thank you so much, Nikki, again. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right, bye. You're listening to Strip by Sia, hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, artwork by Maria Bellandorama, music by Ted D, and photography by Ian Dabern.